Most of us have clothes that we've loved for years, maybe even decades. But it's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. If you're looking for more pieces designed to last, you can't go wrong with American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for years to come. All American Giant clothing is created with a commitment to doing things better. From the materials they use, down to the last stitch in every piece. And everything is made right here in America, in partnership with people and communities. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll appreciate as soon as you receive your order. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code LT23 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code LT23. You will fail. So what? Everybody does. But your gym, your watch, your abs, they pretend you won't. So when you miss a day, eat the pancakes. Give up on a workout? You failed. Seriously? What the hell? We're body. We've been a part of that too, but not anymore. At body, we're rejecting perfection and embracing reality. Not in a pizza Monday kind of way. In a loving your whole life kind of way. In a this workout is fun and it's okay if I take a week off kind of way. In a I'm eating healthy and it's okay if I eat what I want today kind of way. In a I like myself no matter what kind of way. Yeah, you will fail. We all will. But we're not going to let that be the end. See that? We're already making progress. So let's keep going. We are Body. Start your free trial at body.com. That's B-O-D-I dot com. Good afternoon, all. We are live. My name is Scott Kennedy with Forging the Falcons. And this is a new show I want to start bringing to y'all on Fridays with some of my good friends and contacts around the league um, where we start looking behind enemy lines and are looking at some of the team, the opponent for that week. And this week, not only is it the Saints, but one of my good friends in this industry that I've gotten to work with several times and been on his show, he's been on mine, is Kyle Mosley of Saints News Network. So, Kyle, how are you doing, my friend? Doing well, doing well, Scott. Man, it's the start of the new season, week one. What could be better than the New Orleans Saints going into Atlanta and ripping off the hearts of the Dirty Birds, right? No, I'm you know, sorry. I'm a, should I, I, I should wait on that, right? No, no, I don't see. see but I mean, at, at least if there's a heart to rip out, there's a heartbeat going on, you know? Yeah. So that's, that, that's oh something God. that I'm not sure the Falcons have had for the last couple of years. So I always joke, you know, I'm, I'm not – I've been working in sports for so long. Yes, I grew up an Atlanta fan. Um, you know, Falcons fan, all this, but when you work in sports, you end up rooting for the names on the back of the jerseys as much as you do the names on the front of the jerseys. It's the people like Kyle. I don't care if Kyle's a Saints fan. I like Kyle. Kyle's cool. Yeah. yeah, Um, but, uh, you know, I have said for years that this is one of the most underrated rivalries in the NFL because the teams have been so bad. Um, you know, the Saints had a nice run, uh, under Sean Payton. They've been much better. And the Falcons have been better for the most part since Arthur Blank bottom, but historically, 70s, 80s, 90s. This is two of the worst franchises in football. And people yeah. don't realize what a fun rivalry this really is. You know, shoot down 85, shoot over to New Orleans, vice versa. It is a lot of fun to do. So listen, we got some folks coming in. Make sure you hit that that uh the like button as you're coming in. Share, bring some more Falcons fans in with you, some more Saints fans. So Kyle, make sure you retweet that that tweet I tagged you in with uh 
with your because we'll, we'll get some oh. as long as it's cordial and it's good conversation bring them all bring them all in here y'all bring them all in here so yeah, yeah look saints here. fans come on yeah. in man yeah. yeah who that nation Jamal is in here real early um he says what's up everyone rise up we're two days away from battle on the saints we need this w shut the haters up <laughs> i i agree jamal um you know i i am one of those haters unfortunately you know i i uh, with with a 40 years of you know living in it uh, shoot what am I kidding? That was five years ago. With 45 years of uh, being a, you know, an Atlanta sports fan, I'm a cynical SOB. You know, I say that there isn't anything that Kyle can say to me about the Falcons. It's going to hurt any worse than what the Falcons have done to us through the years. It's just, it's like look, you're, you're, you're kicking somebody that's Scott, already down. It doesn't hurt Scott, anymore. Come on, man. We, who's had it worse than the Saints fans with the NOLA no calls and the close calls and being no. right there on the brink I'm many only going to say this once because I don't even like these three numbers, these two numbers together. Nothing, nothing is worse than 28-3. Ooh. Nothing. That hurts. You guys got screwed, but that wasn't a Super Bowl. That wasn't Tom Brady. <laughs> that wasn't the Super Bowl. Yeah, that 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 call was so bad that that y'all went against. That was a single call in a moment. And yes, there's other stuff that leads up to it. That call was so bad they changed the freaking rule. It was so bad. Um, but nothing from a you know from a sports point of view where everybody's healthy. You know, injuries and all that kind of stuff is is one thing. But you really you really can't top 28-3 in the annals of of uh, of football. And then to follow it up with hiring Steve Sarkeesian and letting go of the LaFleurs and Shanahan leaves and Mike McDaniel leaves and you hand it over to a failed – well, we won't even talk about Sarkeesian. <laughs> Lizard Mike coming in. Go, Falcons. Let's settle this score. You know, the score is almost settled. This, this rivalry, again, I've said it's one of the most underrated rivalries in the game. 100 and something, maybe 106 times these two teams have played. They're separated by two wins. The Falcons are ahead for now. Right. Um, could be dead even by the end of the year, or, you know, another uh, get, get another split, and we will see. Uh, Mark Turner, what is this team going to look like? I'm going crazy here. Um, <laughs> we'll hit on some specific players and stuff and some things that have changed because while I think the Falcons can regress in record, they actually are a better team. This is a better team than the, than the, the, the Saints faced last year that they split with. Um, it was both home and home. The Saints kind of overlooked the Falcons and got beat. They got their stuff together at the end, and they beat them. They were a better team last year. But this right. is a better team. The Falcons are. U.S. Dave coming in and saying, Buenas tardes, Falconites. Oh, thank you. Thank you, sir. And Mark Turner saying, you know, blind faith is kind of what we have coming in. So lots of people coming in. Joe, uh, Terry, and uh, – RC Plain says, "Can we get uh, can we get Winston back to his his bad form?" No, that won't happen. And that's one of the questions I want to start with uh, Kyle. Now that I've kind of monopolized the first five minutes with an introduction here, is uh, you know some of the key players and some of the injuries and some of the bounce backs coming in. How has someone like Jameis Winston looked in the preseason? What's the word coming out in New Orleans? about how he'll look, how he's going to look, because he was playing some of the best ball of his career before he got hurt last year. Yeah, same thing with the start of the camp, uh, you know, training camp. He was doing very well until he kind of tweaked uh, his foot, ankle, uh, and he was out for probably a couple of weeks, right? And then he got back to uh, leading the team, the week right before the final preseason game, he looked 
outstanding uh, leading the team. I think he was uh, four for four in his completions. Mark Ingram ran in the touchdown. Alvin Kamara looked great. The receivers, they were on target. Uh, so I think if you look at Winston and look at what Pete Carmichael's offense is going to look for down the line, you're going to see more explosive plays. Uh, you're going to see more chances being taken. Uh, and and, and that, that's kind of fitting the mold of what Pete Carmichael once was when Sean Payton wasn't doing the play call. You know, uh, and I think when you look at uh, what uh, Dennis Allen wants to have this team as, they have to be more dynamic offensively. They have to be able to drive the ball down the field. But for Jameis Winston's purposes, he has to be careful in some of those throws and making sure that he's not a turnover machine like it was in 2019. I think he's matured from there. I think he's evolved from there. And I think what you're going to see is a Jameis Winston that's going to shock a lot of people coming this season. Yeah, like 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 you're saying, the shock. I, I don't know how sh- Jameis Winston sometimes gets, you know, Tied to that season, you said we're, you said we had like 35 interceptions, or just a crazy number. But he was playing really well last year, and frankly, his career in nine games against the Falcons, his career rating is higher than like Drew Brees, wow. Tom uh, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. He's like got a 110 of career rating against the Falcons. So to say he turns into Tom Brady when he faces faces the Birds is not an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know a lot of that career of the Falcons defense has been garbage. Uh, but, you know, credit to him for taking advantage of it. So if you're looking at him, because when I think of Winston, I think high ceiling, low floor. There's a lot of variance in there, which coaches don't necessarily like. Hmm. Where do you think he can finish, you know, as the season wears on? You know, what kind of numbers do you think he can be a three to one, even a four to one TD interception guy? Or is he going to be two to one, one and a half to one type of guy? You know, 35 I would say and 20. Yeah, I think he's more like a three to one or three and a half to one type of guy, to be honest with you. Uh, when he left due to the injury against the, the Buccaneers, he was at what, 14 touchdowns and two interceptions? You know, so that's a yeah, pretty good ratio, good. right? He was, playing, <laughs> he was playing really well. Yeah, so, one yeah. of the other guys who's who has played really well that I'm interested in is, is Michael Thomas. Um, you know, who, who battled through Drew Brees' last year, um, mm. you know, credit to him. It's like, I want to be here for him. Waited until after that season to, to get the surgery on his foot or, or his ankle. And, um, you know, how, how is he looking? You know, is he going to be close to his former self uh, or a, a similar version to it? I always think you're going to get the best at Michael Thomas is where when it comes to effort, right? And you, you spoke about what he was battling through. He, he tried to battle through those last few games, especially the playoff game where he had no interceptions in Drew Brees' last contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was mostly because he wanted to do it for his teammate. Now, you look at over a year later, now he's back into action for the New Orleans Saints. I, I think Michael Thomas is going to be at the level that he can be as an elite receiver, but it's going to possibly take him probably midseason on to the postseason uh, for you to see that true outstanding level. He still has to get acclimated. 
Uh, he has a hamstring uh, injury that was limiting him the past couple of weeks in camp. So I, I do anticipate that he will play against the Falcons. I don't know if he's going to have uh, 100% of the offensive snaps, more likely probably 50, 60%. If that. Yeah, a regular, uh, maybe a little bit less than usual split for right. a wide receiver. Right. Yeah. Right. None, of them, none of them are taking 100%. But of the available, what he normally well, might take. Well, look, he used to average what ninety plus, you know, uh, when it came to his time with Drew Brees, man. So Michael Thomas, right now in, in his career and where he's at, and trying to get back to full form, yeah, he's going to be an outstanding receiver. Will he be in the top five? May not, but in top ten, I can see that being a possibility. Man, you're I uh, I shouldn't have doubted you. Uh, but I, I, was, I was on his page anyway as a rookie, 79 of the offensive snaps for the New Orleans Saints. Rookie, 79, uh, 82, 88, 89, uh, his first four years in the league. So uh, super productive. And from a from a scouting perspective, um, you know, you, you miss on guys all the time, but you normally miss on guys you think are going to do well um, that don't. You don't you rarely miss on guys. You're like, no, this isn't a guy. And then they outplay that ranking. That doesn't, that never happened from high school. That very, very rarely happened. Michael Thomas is my number one guy uh, for that. And he knows it. He was like a six foot, four, six and a half, four, seven senior receiver at Taft High School. He was just, just six a, foot. Yeah. He was, <laughs> wow. he was just okay. a guy. Just a guy. He wasn't anything special. Yeah. Maybe six one, but he was, he wasn't all that fast. He wasn't very big. He, uh, he, you know, he had a famous uncle. Um, you know, Keyshawn Johnson's Keyshawn. nephew and, and people knew him and he was, uh, he was very charismatic. And then he goes to a year at Fork Union and he comes out of there six four two twenty and goes to Ohio state and the rest is history. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And, and I've, I've told him that before. And it's, it's like, listen, I don't, when I miss, it's usually I missed high. I miss low on you. You're my number one. People ask, you know, who are your biggest misses? Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas was my biggest miss in, in recruiting for guys that I didn't think could do it on the next level and then out, outperform. So big time. You know who else is big time? Mark Schrader. He's big time coming in, coming in on YouTube saying good afternoon, Scott and Kyle. Now, Mark's a How you doing, Mark? Broncos fan who is also just a fan of football and the content. We certainly appreciate him being in here. And Charles Clark coming in and says, go Falcons for life. <laughs> Um, we hit on Michael Thomas, Jameis Winston. How about Alvin Kamara? You know, he was a player who battled through some injuries, and that's just not if, but when, when you're talking about running backs and how are they able to bounce back once they're fully healthy and have the batteries recharged becomes a question. What kind of season can we expect in game one, week one, first off? Uh, and I think that'll set the tone. You know, if he's awesome week one, well, he's probably going to be pretty good the rest of the year too. Yeah, expect awesome. <laughs> expect awesome and and guys i'm not trying to overplay these guys and i'm media and i have to be biased to a point but when you look at him on the field and you look at his production and look at how he has been just uh going through the drills at training camp you see a very fast alvin Kamara. you see the guy that still has great balance the guy who has great vision just a great talent overall. Now, we do have the legal issues that have been lingering over his head. He did address the media for the first time uh, yesterday. Uh, he's been selected as one of the captains of the New Orleans Saints in his first time in his six-year tenure with the organization. So 
He's a leader, and he's going to be one of the leaders of the, the team. Uh, he and Mark Ingram are a great combination, uh, the boom and zoom. Uh, those guys like to play on one another. But I, I think you're going to see the same type of Alvin Kamara. And what Michael Thomas, uh, Jarvis Landry, as well as Chris Olave give mm-hmm. to him is an opportunity to open up the field. That was not afforded him last season when you had guys like Chris uh, – uh, count me, uh, Marquez Calloway and uh, uh, Smith and those guys, they weren't able to get down the field. Nobody really respected speed. And uh, the linebackers really kept an eye on Alvin Kamara because he was the only offensive threat for the New Orleans Saints. And that's pretty much how he got injured, in my opinion. But uh, when you look at Alvin Kamara, Scott, I think he's going to have an outstanding season if he stays healthy. Yeah, I mean, and that's the big one. But coming into the season, you you feel pretty good about where he is. Yeah, yeah. Again, you, you still have a guy with a serious legal issue that's pending, you know, and his attorneys as well as the, uh, I guess, the, the Las Vegas uh, County system, they have uh, delayed the proceedings for another 60 days where now that's going into the end of September. Now, uh, I don't know if that's going to get delayed further, pushed back and pushed back throughout the season. Uh, that's a possibility, but he's focused and you could tell he has that chip on the shoulder as well. So he's been very, very quiet. Like I said, this was the first time he had any communication with the media directly. And that was yesterday and all through pre. Uh, preseason as well as the camps, it was uh, amongst the word when it comes to Alvin Kamara. Well, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I didn't know that he was, you know, into anything. So thank you for being on the show. And I guess you can also send a big thank you to Deshaun Watson. Thank you, Deshaun Watson, for taking all of the heat from the national media because <laughs> stuff like this flies under the radar a little bit better because of uh, because of what's been going on. Well, on Scott, if you guys don't know, right? He was arrested right at okay so pro bowl ended and the officers were waiting to arrest him. okay <laughs> okay yeah, nobody watched the pro bowl <laughs> yeah 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 so um Kamara got into an issue and there's an incident at a casino allegedly he as well as a, a kansas city chiefs player beat up a guy who was supposedly harassing them and everything to that nature. Uh, matter of fact, guess who is now representing that uh, victim, alleged victim? Uh, it's t- attorney Tony Busby, Busby, who is the same attorney that represented the 24 ladies who uh, filed the complaints against Deshaun Watson. So how do we bring that full circle? <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're talking, looking, you know, looking for settlements. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. basically going out there and, and Blizzard Mike says that X kicker from Buffalo has all the heat now. Uh, yeah. yeah. The, uh, yeah, the, that's crazy. Hunt God Areza, Areza from, uh, from San Diego state. Yeah. And so now the Denver former punter is now over there as well. So, okay. Well, you know, I, I again, if I don't have all the information, I'm certainly, not going to pass judgment. I don't have all the information. I'm not going to pass judgment. I'm going to stick to what he is on the field. And Alvin Kamara is a dangerous weapon, uh, especially in space on that turf where the Falcons and Saints play both of their games. Um, rookies to watch. We're not going to get to see Trevor Penning 
Um, you know, if you haven't seen Trevor Penning, you can check out my YouTube. It's right on the front page as the most watched video I think I've ever done. I, I labeled him wow. uh, the nastiest lineman in the draft. And some people took that as in like bad, you know, that's a bad man. No, no, I didn't say he was good. I didn't say he was nasty as in like, I, I meant he was dirty. That's what I meant. <laughs> That's what well, I meant. Look, man, Trevor Penning had his uh, a rough outing his first couple of weeks in uh, training camp. Uh, he went at uh, let's see, everybody. Peyton. Whoever was lined up against him, he went at him. Yeah, Peyton Turner, the mm -hmm. former new, number one pick for the Saints. Then he went at uh, All Pro special teams uh, ace uh, JT Gray as well, and then. Uh, Malcolm Roach, and that that was all that really wrote there. And Dennis Allen kicked him out of practice as a result. And he's been a model citizen of, up until he got injured in the final preseason game, where now he is expected to come back uh, off IR in November. That's great. Uh, that's great. He is a he's a talented individual. You want to take some of that out. It's like, listen, we don't want to take the dog out of you, but be smart about it. You know, don't right. hurt the team. Don't don't hurt in, the team. We we understand you're fighting right. and the guys in front of you, you're fighting them for your, you know, for playing time, et cetera, et cetera. But don't hurt the team. And a 15-yard penalty and you getting thrown out of this game hurts the team. Yeah. I think that's what he had to learn. You had to learn the fact that number one, these are your teammates. <laughs> number two, if you do that in the National Football League, any loss of yardage is uh something that you don't want to deal with as an offense and you have to be in the game to be able to protect your quarterback that's your number one function yeah a 15 yard a 15 yard penalty is about as good as a turnover um you know in, in this day and age for most of the time so biggie bronco coming in on youtube says good good afternoon scott and kyle this is kyle over here so how you doing biggie? welcome in Welcome in a loyal listener and watcher of all the stuff that we're doing. Uh, Tim Allen says, Houdat Nation has taken over the ATL as usual. Uh, again, there's been some bad football in Atlanta through the years. And, um, you know, it was always fun for me. I was in college from 91 to 96. I, I redshirted the year. I took a five-year plan. Uh, straight down 85, and I'd drive back with all the Houdats and, and their, uh, their, their, their flags flying. And it, like I said, this is a good rivalry. It, it really yeah. is. It's not, it is. you know, Auburn, Alabama gets really stupid, you know, dangerous sometimes with the, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, so-and-so was shot arguing over the football game. No, no, no. Wow. We can talk some trash. We can have some fun. We can party together and go our separate ways. Right. Doesn't mean, uh, doesn't mean we don't want to win and and win uh, win very well. But yeah, the Houdats travel well because there's usually some open seats in the in the domes that the Falcons have uh, been in the past several years. So, well, also you know, Scott, think about how many people who were displaced from New Orleans settled in Atlanta as well. You know, so you have a, a great contingent of citizens that are really New Orleans and they're right there in the Atlanta area. Katrina. Uh, recruiting college football recruiting in the southeast um, yeah. at the time it was florida georgia then louisiana were the three biggest um three biggest schools in the southeast for producing division one prospects uh after katrina alabama went ahead of louisiana and georgia exploded uh mm. so you know it was uh kendrick lewis was one of the first guys i knew that came up here he, uh, I, I don't remember even where he went to college, but I think he got a cup of coffee in the NFL. He came up with a friend of mine. This is like right when texting is starting to work. I'm like, you can't call anybody, but I'm like, dude, where are you at? He's yeah. like, I'm safe. I'm okay. Um, but Kendrick Lewis played at Gainesville, which ironically was the same. He played 
at the same high school before Deshaun got there, but it's Deshaun Watson. So Kendrick okay. was a, a New Orleans uh, transplant who was a Gainesville Red Elephant uh, like Deshaun Watson was. And I don't, I don't think they, they shared time together. I don't, it's been a while, but I don't, I don't think so. Okay. Trina has been a while ago already. <laughs> yeah. Look, and for me, my family seems like it was just yesterday, man. We were talking about the anniversary on August 28th. And uh, I, I still recall the, the moment we turned on CNN and watched the waters just start to rise near where we lived in the seventh ward. So yeah, yeah. it's, it was pretty dramatic and yeah. traumatic. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Both, both of those, um, good times. So, um, as blizzard says, uh, he says, I'm not trash talking on any pods. Our pads will do the talking. Yeah. I'm not a, I don't, I don't believe in, I, I'm not a trash talker again. They, for another reason they say, you know, if you don't, if you can't take it, don't dish it out. I don't take it worth a damn. So I don't, I don't dish it out. So I always, uh, some of these places I've been to Raiders stuff. I've been to Raiders games. I've been to Dodgers games with a brave shirt on, you know, in the outfield. That's a rough crowd. Now I'll just smile yeah. and wave. You know, hey, yeah. what are you doing? I just smile and wave. <laughs> We're going to kill you. Yeah, you probably will have a good day. You know, whatever. It's just, <laughs> Not worth it. Um, but Olave, you mentioned him. Um, when the Falcons, I was pretty down on the fact that the Falcons were taking a wide receiver with the number eight overall pick, but it wasn't a great draft at the very top. This was a trade down, trade down type of draft. Hmm. Nobody wanted to trade a trade back up, though. It was a problem. Um, so you know, when they took a guy at number eight, when you've got George Pickens killing it with the Steelers in the second round. Christian Watson, Green Bay, Sky Moore, Kansas City, all these second round, these great options. By God, you had to get it right. And just a few picks later, Chris Olave goes. So, you know, what kind of, what kind of, what are you hearing and what are you expecting from Olave early? You know, can he make an impact with some of these veteran weapons? And, you know, what do you see from him long term? Well, I think the first preseason game gave us a glimpse of the type of player he's going to be. Uh, he had a touchdown against Green Bay. Uh, he In camp, he's gone one-on-one with Lattimore. He's gone one-on-one with uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson before he was traded, and he got the better of those guys. Um, and I like his ability to get downfield as well. So he poses a threat in the intermediate area as well as he's deceivingly fast enough to get behind you. So you have a guy that uh, is a good compliment, like you say, when you have an older vet like uh, Jarvis Landry, who's just going to find a way to find holes in defense anyway. You can't stop that with him. And you have a guy who's a great possession guy, and when you need to have that first down to have the critical catch, that's going to be Michael Thomas. Then you have Chris Olave right there. Uh, He's going to be a good rookie. And I, I looked at some of the the bets for him. I think he's now 12 to 1 favorite for offensive uh, rookie of the year uh, by a couple of people. I think MGM was one. But when I look at Chris Olave, he's a great compliment, number one, because the New Orleans Saints just love Buckeyes. Uh, 
They, they just draft Buckeyes left and right. If it wasn't for Mickey Loomis as well as Jeff Ireland, I think it'll be Buckeye Central for the Saints. I just had a conversation with Chris Carter, former Buckeye and, and Hall of Famer, and he talked about it as well. You got Michael Thomas, Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, we had Michael uh, Jenkins at one time. You got Pete Warner. You got uh, the uh, Davis, the guy they just signed off of uh, the Giants practice squad onto their uh, 53-man roster as the guard. So the Saints love to have Buckeyes in their fold. Uh, Ted Ginn was also a part of the Saints as well. You know, he wasn't drafted by it, but he was a former Buckeye. So they've had success. Chris Olave looks to be in that same vein, and, uh, you know, we'll see. Okay. That's the only thing you can say. As soon as they put on the pants, can they get open, catch the ball, and make it happen? So you mentioned the times when Sean Payton was not calling plays. How is the success then, and and how do you feel the transition is going to be? Because I mean, the the Saints under Sean Payton was a golden age of New Orleans Saints football. That's mm-hmm. not so easily replaced and replicated. Just oh, we'll wait till you see the next guy. I, I fell for that when I was first following football. You know, the quarterback <laughs> right. in college, he's leaving. He's like, oh, wait till you see this next guy. He's even better. No, he wasn't. He was terrible. Yeah. yeah. And and going <laughs> to the next one is not as easy as just. Well, they're running the same system. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's different. It is. So, you know, how, how do you feel that transition can go uh, early, again, like week one, versus, you know, long term? Good question. So I can think back to at least three instances where when Sean Payton was injured, uh, when Jimmy Graham ran into him and tore his uh, ligaments in his knee along the sidelines. And then uh, Pete Carmichael came in, and the Saints' offense for the next couple of games started throwing the ball down the field. Started having uh, more than uh, four to five hundred yard type of games with Drew Brees. Then all of a sudden, Sean Payton said, "Well, I'm start calling plays from the, <laughs> from the booth," and he started to do that uh, until he got back onto the sidelines. Uh, so they were productive. Then think about the 2011 debacle after the uh, San Francisco game, and we got Bounty Gate. So all season, mm-hmm. uh, Pete Carmichael had to that call plays out. in 2012, right? So he did an outstanding job because think about this. It was a terrible defense that they had with Spagnolia that uh, really caused them to lose more of those games and – Drew Brees had what 5,000 yards passing that season. Uh, then you go and look, was it close to 5,000? Okay. So then you look at uh, some stretches that Sean Payton turned over the play calling to P. Carmichael when he needed to get a fresher perspective on the team. And a la Drew Brees and the offense, again, was highly productive in doing so. Now, where P. Carmichael does tend to have a issue would be is the lack of utilization of the running backs as a result. Well, and, and I would you argue, know? I would also argue this, Kyle, uh, the steady in there was Drew Brees also. What what else, yeah. what he also doesn't have this year is a Drew Brees in his prime. Right, um, right. You, you know, cause, right. Cause you, and, and that's a great point. You, yeah. you don't have that Drew Brees. So how's it going to work with Jameis Winston? Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I always argued this one point that I wish Sean Payton would have 
at least given more of the reins to P. Carmichael, and he kind of looked over the whole team. And because there was sometimes that they really needed him to look to be the overseer versus the play call. And then you saw in the past few years, and this is not a criticism on Sean Payton. This is just an observation that some of the play calling became predictable. Mm -hmm. And as a result, then you had teams like Tampa Bay and even Atlanta, you know, they would take advantage of uh, the type of plays that they were known for calling uh, through Sean Payton and win games. And as a result, you know, you look at Sean Payton, you think offensive genius. I think he needed to tie, probably take a step back earlier and uh, just kind of be that that head coach. But he didn't want to do that. He still wanted to put, call the plays. One, one of the things we've always said about Hall of Fame coaches is you don't have to go very far to find right next to them or right above them the Hall of Fame quarterback. Funny how that works. You name me a Hall of Fame coach, and I'll tell you who his quarterback was. That right, right. Go hand well, in hand. We talk about teams that, you know, like I said, doing a bunch of stuff with the Broncos. We talk Seahawks. You know, these teams that that if they either have the quarterback or you don't. Um, Mark Schrader came in. He asked a question for you real quick. For uh, we get back to it. He says, "How do you see the Saints' defense being this year?" Now, it's interesting. We've talked a lot of offense because that's almost where the questions are on the offensive side of the ball? Because this defense looks pretty dang good. Defense looks excellent. And uh, the defensive leaders of the team are always going to be Demario Davis, Cam Jordan, and now you have Tyron Matthew, who's coming in to the secondary. Uh, Marcus May has taken over Marcus Williams's spot in the safety uh, area as well. But you always have the island that you have to contend with, with uh, Marshawn Lattimore, right? Mm -hmm. So the defense looks real good, and you have Big O right in the middle of things, uh, Big David Amyamada, who's going to really take his spot and hold down the defensive line. And then you got on the opposite side of Cam Jordan, Marcus Davenport, or if you don't want him, you got Peyton Turner. If you don't want him, then you got Carl Grandison, or you have uh, Tano uh, right there. So the Saints are pretty deep on their defensive line. Uh, the one question that we do have is, can Pete Werner and uh, the other guys who are the linebackers complement Demario Davis since they did not choose to re-sign Quan Alexander in the offseason? Well, uh, Cam hurts on several levels. Uh, one, he's really good and has hurt the the, uh, the Falcons for years. Stack, stacking those sacks. But two, um, I absolutely hated the trade that that Thomas Dimitrov made in 2011 for Julio Jones. Mm. Um, they were 13 and three going into that season and had just given up 48 points without forcing the Green Bay Packers to punt. And your response is, we're, we think we're one player away after going 13-3 and three and giving up 50 points by, to Aaron Rodgers at home as the number one seed. And your response is, we're one player away, but it's a wide receiver. And we're going to give up five high draft picks to do it was moronic. That was mm -hmm. just moronic. The Falcons never reached that those heights again. They almost got lucky in a Super Bowl, getting hot, but they were never 13-3 and three and, and reached those heights after that, despite how good Julio Jones was. Three picks after... They made that trade with Cleveland, so they were picking 21. Cam Jordan goes number 24. As great mm -hmm. as Julio was, 
and this was just one player. I'm not talking about the other four picks and what could have been at that point with the first round pick the next year and a second round pick and all that kind of stuff. Cam Jordan would have been better for the Falcons than Julio Jones was. There, I said it. They needed the pass rush. Go look at those wow. defenses. Go look at the defenses that Matt Ryan played under. He needed a defense more than he needed another weapon. You got Roddy White, Tony Gonzalez, Michael Turner. I needed Cam Jordan more than I needed <laughs> more than I needed Julio. And Julio may be the best Falcons player of all time, but you needed defense more for that team for sure. Um, so what questions do you have for me? Are you guys just so looking far past the Falcons that it's like you haven't really even given them much thought? You no, know, this is a no. Team. Let's um, be honest about this one thing. You talked about the rivalry. Sometimes with rivalries, you can put all those stats aside, Scott, and you can say hey, it means nothing whatsoever because you still have some of these guys who – remember a couple wins ago right on the Falcons side and you have guys like cam jordan who is is kind of sorry that matt ryan has left because he sacked him more than any other quarterback in history of the game right <laughs> so um what my question would be is how do you see the offense of the Falcons working this season, especially if it's going to be Mariota or is it going to be Ritter or is it going to be uh, who's going to really get the ball to Kyle Pitts or is Cordell Patterson the guy that they're going to key in on as usual? It's it's definitely going to be Marcus Mariota. Uh, I, I don't expect to see unless unless the there's an 0-8 start and Mariota is to blame on most of those O's or mostly most of those eights, then I don't see Desmond Ritter playing. It's This is Marcus's team this year. He's on a two-year deal, but it's really a one-year deal. You know how dead caps work, especially for right. a team that's willing to eat $65 million in dead cap. $2 million wow. dead cap hit next year is nothing. So he's on a one-year deal. So um, it's going to be Marcus Mariota. Now, again, when I mentioned ceiling and floor, I mentioned a high ceiling, but a low floor. There could be a lot of variance for Jameis Winston. With mm -hmm. Marcus Mariota, I think you're just looking for a little bit more steady. Don't try and do too much. Protect the ball. I think Arthur Smith will play to the running game. Um, so I think they'll be a more effective. Um, I think they'll be more effective moving the ball this year. Because last year, they had two of the worst offensive linemen in the league, literally. At left guard, Jalen Mayfield, and right tackle, Caleb McGarry. And it only takes one really bad link in a chain to blow up your, your offense. And they had two of them. So Caleb McGarry is in a contract year, former first-round draft pick, and he looks really good in the preseason. And I've been on his tail for two years. So that's, <laughs> that's you know, if, if he steps up to average, that's good. Uh, and then they replaced Jalen Mayfield with guard uh, Eli Wilkinson, who has played some tackle. And he looks serviceable. Okay. Okay. So Cordell Patterson can play a little bit. We know what he's capable of. Kyle Pitts got 95% of his yardage from wide receiver. So as a first target, Cordell Patterson and Kyle Pitts are, are pretty pretty solid. And then you don't know, I'm not sure what you're going to get, if anything, from Drake London. Um, long term, you know, you, you hope you're going to get it because that was a risk taking him at eight. But I think the offense can be more effective moving the ball steadily. They just... There's no depth on this team, so they cannot, absolutely cannot have any injuries. There's no depth on offense, um, especially a wide receiver, because it's it's Kyle Pitts. And yeah, I just called him a receiver, uh, pass catcher. It's Kyle Pitts and then a bunch of maybes. 
Drake London's own known. Braden Edwards is steady. Uh, yeah. Alamne Zacchaeus is a four. So so that. But um, I think I think with Mariota they will tailor the offense a little bit more creatively, where you know they're not trying to just save him from being killed for seventeen games like they did with Matt Ryan. Are you surprised that Fontenelle did not try to get a more of a dynamic veteran to go into that wide receiving core? I'm not because um, they have no money. Um, you know, th- this is the last year where they were dealing. They've been they've been shopping on the Chicago Bears waiver wire for the last two seasons. It's kind hmm. of a running joke. Every player they've signed has played with the Bears. <laughs> No bears. <laughs> um, but no. Um, and Joe Cannon says, I don't know sure if this is the same thing. And Mark Turner says, um, Bernhardt will surprise. Bernhardt is former college lacrosse player of the year uh, who played and won a national championship playing option quarterback at, at Ferris State in college and now has made the team as a wide receiver. So very interesting. But, you know, yeah. as Champagne says, he's he's not proven. He's not a guy that he could be a wild card type of guy. So, you know, we'll see. Um, but no, they didn't have the money to go out and do that. And which is one of the reasons why I've been so adamant about not getting pass catchers in these past two drafts. Now this, I was against the Kyle Pitts thing before I knew Julio Jones was leaving. I'm like, you got Julio Jones, you got Calvin Ridley. What the hell do I need another receiver for when I can't block or, or stop anybody on defense? Well, you needed a guy that was 20 years old and could be a dynamic player in this league for 15 years. Right. So that was okay. But this year. Uh, they're, they've put their, they've put their, their resources at the wider, at the pass catcher position, playmaker position in draft next year is when they have money again, they'll have, okay. they'll have probably if I, if I started knocking all the places where I could save money, they're going to have about a hundred million dollars in cap room next year. Likely so next top, year is my draft pick. <laughs> okay. Okay, so uh, so next year is more the outlook for you guys to be contenders. Is that the this year you you rip the bandaid off <laughs> and you're eating forty million dollars of of Matt Ryan's contract? Wow. So you've got and uh, I'll put this in that this is one of the things I you know my 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 Falcons faithful you know God bless them. But when I put this, I just put this link in. Actually, it's in YouTube. Sorry, I'll drop it in Facebook too. Um, it's it's the spot rack link. You know, when I when I put this up here and you sort by active contracts on a two hundred and eight million dollar salary cap, Atlanta Falcons only have one hundred and eleven million dollars on the field. They're playing with half a team, dude. Yeah, half a half a team. Yeah. So they ate that contract for it. All the talk you hear when now this, that blah, blah, blah. Every move they've made has built toward has built towards rebuilding this team in 2023. Okay. Every player they brought, brought in is on a one-year deal or a draft pick every single one of them. So you come in, you got Kyle Pitts, you got Drake London. I got another top five pick and a hundred million dollars. Okay. And I got AJ Terrell. Who's pretty damn good. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I've got some really good young building blocks and a ton of money. This okay. for me is the floor. This season could be the floor. They've done a really good job of, of filling some gaping holes with some players that are surprising where I think, again, like I said, Kyle, I think this team could be worse than seven and 10, but be a better team. They were not a good team last year. They're 
from the previous year, their points against, their points for, every single metric went down, was worse than it was in 2020, but their record got better because they were seven and two in one score games. Mm-hmm. You know, they well, had some I mean, team. I mean, uh, I, I recall last season that you guys were still gaming through some of the games, then toward the end, it seemed like kind of tailed off, you know, they, you they, still they hung around 500 over. most of the year. Yeah. You know, they did. They hung around 500 most of the year, but they were never, it was never a serious team. Um, no. They had one of the biggest point differentials in, in history for like a seven win team because they went seven and two in one score games. And when they weren't, when they weren't in a one score game, which they were seven and two in, they got blown out. Mm. Mm. Okay. Well, that, <laughs> Let's go talk about the defense. Uh, I know Grady Jarrett, and mm-hmm. you talk about Terrell and uh, the linebackers. Uh, you got Rashawn Evans there, and you'll probably start Michael uh, Michael Walker because I think what about the LSU he the, guy. He got the dot uh, with Michael Walker. Yep, former LSU guy, so he's going to be calling plays. Good okay. in coverage. Okay. Um, they drafted Troy Anderson, who I love from the Senior Bowl, but usually. Rookies aren't counted on too much under Dean Peace, so he may get a year to kind of sit back and play some special teams. The guy to watch, though, Kyle, that has really impressed me year over year is the other defensive lineman opposite Grady Jarrett is Taquan Graham. So uh, Taquan Graham, and he is referring to Deion Jones. That's right. Didn't Michael Walker go to LSU too? Debo, Debo, yeah, Debo. That's who. For some reason, I'm picturing Michael Walker in in LSU colors. I'm not. I don't know why. But you are referring to Deion Jones. Deion Jones may never play for the Atlanta Falcons again. Um, he is part of that uh, $100 million missing dollars from the field. He's on injured reserve. Uh, after playing in the third game to see if he was ready to play, they, they played him in the third preseason game and sat him down. Uh, they'd like to trade him, but he has a $24 million dead cap number. So in order to save any money, you got to find somebody to come up with at least $6 million of salary to pay him just to break even, just to break even if you trade him. Otherwise, it's a net loss to trade him. You can't cut him because it actually costs you $4 million against cap that you don't have. So they've IR'd him. Uh, I'm not willing to Calvin Ridley this guy and say, yes, there's no way he's coming back, which is what I said about Calvin Ridley. Um, but I'll be, I won't be surprised if he comes back, thanks, Mike. Michael Walker went to Fresno State. The other Bulldogs way out there, but you were thinking of Deion Jones. I'll I'll be surprised if Deion ever plays for the Falcons again. I'll be I'll be I'll be a little surprised. Um, well, but watch Deion Graham. He was a fourth that, or fifth round pick last year. Right, fourth into the action way too early, and uh, he's a three hundred pounder playing the three four defensive end, and has looked solid. He's looked really he, solid in his second year. If I recall, that's the guy that was giving um, was he giving Andrus Pete some trouble the game that you guys won. If he he might have because he was he was starting the last several games. He yeah. played a lot last year. Um, yeah, he was he was he was in the backfield. <laughs> they, I recall they put some resources into the edge position, which they had to do. Uh, they put a second round pick in an Ar- Arnold Lebicetti out of Penn State, um, and then they used a third round pick on D'Angelo Malone out of Western Kentucky, I believe. Um, let Dante Fowler go eating some of that dead cap money and, and brought in Lorenzo Carter instead. Now, Stephen Means was a starting edge. Cover your ears, Falcons fans. He was a starting edge last year, and he had zero sacks, two quarterback hits in the same game in 14 starts last year. That's it. Wow. 
So that's, that's not good. It's, it's, I, I call it, I call it, it's, it's almost statistically impossible how unproductive he was from the edge position. Cause I mean, you see it all the time, once or twice a game, somebody blows a blocking assignment, you get a free run, right? You know, at least for a pressure, I'm not even talking about a sack for at least a pressure yeah. for God's sakes. So okay. and Jimmy Miller coming in, rise up with those saints. Welcome in. looks like he's repping the dogs too. Uh, can't quite tell if that's a, darker it looks like the dogs are not bama but it might be that's, bama that looks like bama huh yeah it might be bama it's yeah. hard with that one that single white stripe and i can't quite tell the tint of the red so uh so all way, right a couple national championships there <laughs> all right well mr kennedy all right let's yes. talk about this um terry fontenot came from new orleans yep. gm second year has been fighting, sounds like to me, the cap issues that's really been an issue for most teams. You know, I don't know how the Saints keep navigating through their cap issue, but Kai Harley does a great job with Mickey Loomis to be able to get that down every season. Um, Arthur Smith, what's your evaluation of him and Fontenelle together? So far, um, you know, I, there's a little too much, I don't want to say us against the world mentality because I don't mind it, but Fontenot has, I, I like to call it FU money. Most of the coaches do, all of the coaches do, but he's on a different level. I mean, if he hmm. put football together, he's heir to, you know, the FedEx fortune. He's, he's a billionaire, <laughs> you know, so he's got money. So but he's he's gotten short and snippy with the press already. I'm like, dude, really? This could be a three and fourteen season, brother. You know, it's preseason. You know, and the and the, and the Falcons press corps is notoriously soft, and <laughs> they have to. I mean, they have to be anyway because they're beholden to the credentials that are given to you by the team. That's right. Um, That's right. But that said. I, I think Arthur Smith and Dean Peace, especially on the defensive side of the ball, did a great job to get seven wins with that roster. I think it was really, really strong. Uh, they're like, well, you know, against that team. So I'm like, yeah, but you are one of those teams. Well, you beat the Jaguars, you beat the Jets, you know. Yeah, but if you're not beating them, then you are them, you know. So it wasn't quite that dysfunctional. Hmm. Uh, Fontenot's done a good job. They totally mishandled the, the Matt Ryan situation and the Deshaun Watson situation, but that one almost goes on Arthur blank more than those two, because Arthur knew Deshaun as a ball boy from the Falcons. And I think Arthur blank was spearheading that, um, the results on the first draft have been iffy at best. Uh, I really liked what I saw on the second draft and then they've done a good job of plugging holes with high value with low value monetarily wise, but decent player free agents in order to just put a team on the fricking field. <laughs> um, wow. Because they, they sign everybody they sign. It's like, you know, one year deal and you know, one year, 1 million, one five. I mean, they're, they're up against it. So I'm, I'm hoping they're learning some really hard lessons in team building and scouting because they'll have money next year. Uh, you know, I look at, I think I mentioned this before uh, I have it. Let me, let me put this into perspective for you. The Falcons have um, one, two, three, four, five, six players on their roster, on their active roster that are $4 million or more. Six, six. New Orleans Saints, let's do that same little exercise. This is going to take a little longer. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. 
12. So double the amount of, you know, and, and money's not everything, but it's a pretty decent indicator of what your value is in the league. Yeah. With the talent, right? Yeah. And but, um, put it this way, here's, here's how I want you to put it. If, if your six highest played players, you only have four of them at six. If I could get that other hundred million back, I could add 25 more. <laughs> that hundred million dollars that's sitting in Indianapolis throwing footballs for the Colts or catching passes from Tom Brady. You know, there's $60 million at Julio Jones and Matt Ryan. Well, and it brings me back to this, man. You know, Matt Ryan, former MVP and uh, been the leader, and he was the face of the franchise for such a long time. How do you feel they bungled the Matt Ryan situation? Should they have kept him on, or, you know, did they get anything good out of the deal? No, it was one, going after Deshaun Watson, everybody was going to come out stinky. Everybody. Everybody was going to come out of that. The Saints – I mean, they came out stinky a little yeah, bit. The, yeah, the Saints got they the Saints got some of that. The the uh, the Panthers did. The Falcons did. The Falcons thought they had them. It was like this is coming down to the Saints or the or the Falcons until the Cleveland Browns come up with two hundred fifty million dollars of guaranteed money. And that was going to split the it was going to split the fan base a little bit. It eventually would have come over because fans will root for anybody if they're wearing the, their colors. It's just the way it is you know, until they leave the team or do something wrong. And then they remember that that guy was a dirt bag. Right. Um, it, so it was, but it, initially it was good. You've seen it with the Browns, you know, the Browns fans, especially women and about 49% of the NFL fans in around the country are women are pretty disgusted by the whole thing. So you're going after a guy that's going to split half your fan base anyway. Um, and then to, you know, at the at the cost of a guy who's been the model professional who has split the fan base with his play, but nobody's nobody says a bad word about Matt Ryan, the person. No, nobody. no, not the person. Nobody. Right, right. You know, you might say, you know, he was a statue in the pocket and he was holding his team back. And I'll come out and say, you know, I disagree that his play was as bad as people make out to be. But that contract, which isn't his fault either, what am I supposed to do? Say, no, I don't want the money. Yeah. No, thank you, Mr. Dimitrov. <laughs> Let That's me give back the money. Oh, how many millions? No, no, yeah. it's not, so, no, never, no, it's I don't, don't really happen. want all that money, Mr. Yeah. Dimitrov. Thanks. <laughs> We're gonna well, give you another look, 10 Scott. million to push this this contract back. And, and I use the Saints, Kyle, all the time about they say the, the salary cap's a myth. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not a myth as long as the guys that you're pushing down the line and restructuring are still good. As long as they can still play. When I get to Deion Jones and he's a liability on the field and he's got a 24 million dead cap number, I'm in trouble. When I got right. Julio Jones and a $30 million cap, dead cap number and he wants out, I'm in trouble. When I have cut ties with my, my quarterback so much that he wants out too and he's got a $40 million dead cap number, I'm in trouble. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, restructuring young guys. And, and doing all that stuff to push the, 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 the card down the line, that's fine. And that's what the Saints have been doing for years. The Falcons did for years was hand huge guaranteed money with signing bonuses to declining players. Yeah, you can't do that. And, I <laughs> and think, here we are. I think that happened to the Saints probably, God, what seasons? Was it 2012, 13, 14 seasons, something like that? When they were going to 79, that's three years, 79 straight. Uh, is because they were trying to, in my yeah, 14, 15. what I say, they 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 do the recycling of guys. 
you know, they're trying to find that old glory in somebody and it's not happening. Old glory will never come back. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and I think they learned a valuable lesson to be able to look at talent, try, and that's when they, I think shortly after brought in Jeff Ireland to kind of help evaluate some of the drafting of the pro players and the college players and try to help them out in that area. So, yeah, you, you got to do your due diligence and be able to look at the long term and see if this guy is productive and could we find somebody else. And I think the Saints did that this season was a good example. They knew Charles C. Gordon Johnson was going into his final year of his contract and uh, who could be able to find uh, to be able to service that position. They looked at Alante Taylor coming out of Tennessee. That was a shocking uh, type of uh, draft to find him, but he's going to be that guy in the future that could be able to do the role that C.J. Gardner-Johnson has been doing such a long time for the New Orleans Saints, and now he's going to be doing in Philadelphia. Well, you, you know the old saying, Kyle, is it's better to make a deal a year too early than a year too late. That's right. Well, the Falcons have been not making the deal. My wife said that to me. Too late. Yeah, my wife said that to me too. So yeah, so I'm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, real quick, uh, hundred realist comes in on YouTube, or that's an L. I can't quite tell. He says, "I'm just interested in the Mariota situation. If he has a good season and proves himself, do we resign him, or is he just going to be a bridge QB for us?" You've got mm. that option. He's on a one-year deal with a club option, basically. So it's a for a for an upper half level quarterback, even if he's 16th, um, which right now he's in the. 30s when you look at QB indexes because he hasn't been a starter in two years. If he plays at middle, next year he's on $14 million on that club option. That's not bad. You, you play that out, you, you let them play that, and then you talk about doing something in 20... You, you could extend him, but you talk about doing something for 2024 through 27. And if he does that, and he becomes, wow, this is a guy, and I want to see it over at least a season and a half <laughs> before I start talking extension couple things are going to happen one you're going to play yourself into a position where you might not have a top five pick mm. but if he is good think deshaun watson two years ago his numbers were insane the texans stunk uh he had like 35 touchdowns seven interceptions and they're five and 11 if you do that and you've got your quarterback and you're sitting in next year's draft class with a top five pick my god is that going to be a valuable pick because there's quarterbacks everywhere so you can yeah, trade that down is... for multiple first rounders in 2023 Right, and I think this is the season where there's a great crop of quarterbacks that's coming out, right, for the yes. draft. So yeah, yeah. Last year um, wasn't so good. Next year, there's several, several of them that could look uh, really. Uh, Marshall Wright said, "Gen Pop." I agree, Richie. If I had if I had wasted that much money, millions upon millions of dollars, I guarantee you, most of us would be in prison. Uh, criminally, criminal mismanagement is how I like to put it. Um, that's funny, but yeah. So on that note, let's, let's got a couple more, a couple more minutes. So I want to get us out of here. Um, uh, give me your season outlook. Give me the, the end of the season. We're the, we're the saints this year. Everybody wants to look at the AFC, the bills, the AFC West. They're making all the headlines. Mm -hmm. we're, the, we're the saints coming out of the NFC come in season. Look, I still believe the saints can take the NFC South. Um, Tampa Bay has a lot of question marks in my opinion. And I think, <clears throat> let me get it right, and there's a lot of national media that still says Tom Brady, just because his presence 
you're going to get them over the hump into the Super Bowl. If I've said it for 15 years, it's been true. One of these days, it's not going to be. But yeah, I think these, <laughs> I think one of these days is here. And um, the the offensive line for that team is still a question mark, and uh, I, I still worry about that protecting a 45 year old quarterback. You know, and I'm 55, so I know you don't move the same way you used to several <laughs> years ago, and I don't move the same way I did yesterday. So, yeah, so it, 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 happens. it gets worse fast. It gets worse, man. Uh, so all I would say is this. Uh, I project the Saints right now 11 cents. Okay. okay. I've gone on record to say that. But I can see the Saints being at 12 and 5 and being able to take that uh, one of those top spots in the NFC uh, for that strange playoff system that we have now. Yeah, who knows? Um, Let's yeah. just get everybody in like they do college basketball. All yeah, right, yeah. so you, weekend, it's like Oprah. You you get in, you get in. <laughs> so for so, the weekend, yeah. give me your prediction because this, this is going to – I mean, it's hard to say it's going to set the tone. You know, it's a long-ass season. One week can mean nothing, can disappear. But, you know, it's a, it's a division game. It's Saints-Falcons, week one, new regime. Jameis coming back, Michael Thomas back, Alvin Kamara's back. Give me give me your prediction for this weekend. I, I have the Saints winning 27 to 17. I'll be there in Mercedes-Benz uh, press box uh, to be able to witness it. Um, next but, time you tell me so you can come stay with me or cancel your damn hotel and come stay with me. Man, I wish I had known. <laughs> Save me a you ton of money. Do it. <laughs> Within 24 hours, I'm 45 minutes give or take, you know, depending on traffic, 30 minutes to an hour, uh, north, northeast of the, of the stadium. Well, I'm going to take you up on that. Trust me. Open uh, invitation. Bill Huber came down here and stayed during, uh, during an NFC championship game one time. So, or one of the divisional rounds. So it's so funny because you know, I, I went to Morehouse, so I still have one, two, three guys who were groomsmen in my wedding that lived there. And guess what? All of them are out of town this weekend. I'm like, this is <laughs> the season set. opener. But yeah, we're going elsewhere. We got one that's in Orlando. We got another one's going up to the East Coast. I'm like, uh, I, I don't get it. But anyway, uh, I, I do see that uh, the Falcons could be able to keep this tight the first half. I, mm -hmm. I do see that. But I think eventually the Saints are going to overpower them coming down and if you talked about depth as being an issue depth can really hurt you in the second half of games uh, especially if you're not up by quite a bit Mariota still worries me because he still can be able to sneak out of the backfield he's still mobile enough to do some things to put some damage but I think eventually after everybody settles down after halftime and make the adjustments there yeah the New Orleans Saints are going to win 27 to I'm going to do uh, this rapid 17. fire Twitter style because I got to go get kids out of school real quick sure. and the rain's sure. coming um I, I agree with you I think I think the uh I think the Saints are going to win this one I think both offenses will probably struggle um, just because it's first game, all kinds of newness coming in, Jameis coming back. Um, the defense for the Saints is just too good. So I, I see a bunch of field goals and maybe a touchdown from each one, but I think it could be a strange type of score, something like 19-13 Saints. But I think What's the Saints come, in, come yeah. in and uh, and they go back to who have a have a good time and a, and a, and a drive <laughs> back down I-85. But Kyle, 
thank you so much for being here for this first episode of Behind Enemy Lines. You're welcome, uh, man. And I want to put this up here, make sure people can find you. It'll be in the description as well. But he is uh, at KT Mose on Twitter. So make sure Correct. you are liking and following, sharing and subscribing. At a three o'clock in the afternoon, thanks for those of you that can make it. Pop a question in, leave a comment on your work afterwards, because I know this is going to be a better thing to watch on demand. I'm obsessed. I, I'm OCD about answering the questions, <laughs> so I will be there. But on that note, I've got to go. Kyle, thanks for being here, and we'll see you all next time.